take our Bibles tonight. We're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. Acts chapter 1, it's going to be a, a few minutes before we really get into uh, the Bible too much tonight. Um, and there, there's a reason for that. I want to give you a little bit of history, a little bit uh, of background. Uh, I really feel led, um, especially with the events of the last few days, uh, to address an issue uh, that is, has really uh, caught the attention of the world and should be catching our attention as Christians and Bible believers, and that is the situation that's taking place in Israel. And uh, really, I, I just want to kind of ask the question, why should I care about what's happening in Israel? In fact, I heard someone say, someone who claims to be a Christian, I heard someone say, uh, just today, I really don't care what's happening in Israel. And I would say of that person, they are biblically illiterate. They don't understand why we ought to care. And I believe it's important that all of us uh, do care and know why we should care and be paying attention to what's going on. And so tonight, the message is admittedly maybe a little bit more along the lines of, uh, of, of some teaching and some history and things of that nature. But I do think it's important. And, and one of the reasons is... As we get into this tonight, one of the things that will be referenced is the issue of Bible prophecy. And we happen to be living in a day and age where a lot of our faith is under attack from within. And, and I've mentioned several times the dangers of Reformed theology, and specifically from the, the aspect of the Calvinism that's associated with Reformed theology. And that is a dangerous doctrine, don't get me wrong. But one of the things that I believe is extremely dangerous about Reformed theology is that their view of eschatology, end times events, is very messed up and it's unscriptural. And most, uh, most people who adhere to Reformed theology hold to either what we would know as post-millennial or amillennial theology. That is that they believe that, the, the, really they believe that the prophecies in regard to the thousand year reign of Christ and the second coming of Christ are not literal, uh, but they're figurative. And so they deny a lot of what the Bible has to say about end times events. But this is a big problem because folks, we are living in the last days and the Bible is very clear that Christ will return again and we are to be watching for his return. We're to be waiting for his return. And so these dangerous doctrines have kind of crept into churches and they've really done a good job of lulling God's people to sleep. Calvinism has caused us to forget the urgency of reaching the lost for Christ and proclaiming the gospel because after all, I mean, who's going to be saved is going to be saved and it doesn't really matter if I have any part in it. And so that's a, a, a dangerous doctrine that has led us into a state of complacency in a lot of ways. But then the other side of that is if you can deny a literal return of Christ or a premillennial return of Christ, it really lulls people into a sleep in regard to what's happening and the events that are unfolding uh, in the world all around us. And so it's important. I want to just take some time to gain some biblical perspective tonight. And, and really answer that question, why should we care about what's taking place in Israel? Just to give you a little bit of 
background and kind of fill you in on what is going on in Israel. Of course, most of you know that this past Saturday, uh, Hamas launched an attack uh, on Israel. Uh, It was unexpected. It was, by all accounts, unprovoked. And uh, it was a surprise attack that killed hundreds and hundreds of uh, civilians and and innocent uh, men, women, children, and it created a a conflict that uh, has now become a full-scale war with uh, in the multiple thousands, from what I heard, the latest reports, uh, dead, and uh, things are not getting better. They're just getting worse, and things are intensifying over there. What's this all about? Well, let me just back up maybe farther than most people would that don't have a biblical perspective or a historical perspective. If you remember all the way back uh, in the time of Abraham, God promised to give the Abraham's seed a land, the land of Canaan. And that was part of the Abrahamic covenant that God would give to the descendants of Abraham through the son of promise, which would be Isaac, that he would give to them a land. And that wasn't fulfilled until later on after they uh, had spent, you know, 400 years and Uh, in Egypt, 430 years in Egypt, and then God led uh, by the hand of Moses Israel out of Egypt, and by the hand of Joshua, 40 years later, he led Israel into the land that he had promised to Abraham so many years before. And Israel possessed that land from the time of Joshua and the conquest there until the Babylonian captivity. And so for several hundred years, under the leadership of the judges and then the kings, like we're studying in Israel, that land of promise belonged to Israel, and they lived in that land until their rebellion against the Lord caused him to stir up Nebuchadnezzar against them, and they were obviously carried away into Babylon. They spent 70 years uh, in, uh, in a foreign land, first under Babylonian rule, then Uh, under the rule of the Medes and the Persians, and then they were returned to Israel. If you remember, uh, under Zerubbabel, and and, and we got those post-exilic books of the Bible, like Ezra, Nehemiah, that detail those events after Israel returned to the Promised Land. But something was different, because from that time forward, though Israel lived in the land that God had promised them, They were not a free country. They were living under foreign rule and foreign empires. They were living under the Medo-Persian Empire. And by the time we come to the New Testament, they're living under Roman rule. And so, so much of the New Testament and the the, the accounts of Jesus is that they were living under Roman rule, though living in the land that God had promised to them. But in 70 AD, the emperor Titus, he was a Roman emperor, came and he surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem. And when that took place, the Israelites, the people of Israel, the Jews, were scattered from Israel. Primarily, the land of Israel, the promised land, was inhabited by Gentiles. And the Jews were scattered all over the world into places like Europe and Asia and different places until 1948. And obviously there are still, to this day, Jews all over the world. There are Jewish communities. Uh, In fact, there are more, from what I understand, there are more Jews living in New York City than there are in Jerusalem. If you think about that, it's kind of an interesting thought. But for 1,900 years, from 
from 70 AD, so almost at the, when the Bible was completed, just a few years before the Bible was completed, from then until 1948, Israel did not live in the land that God had promised them. Now, think about this. 1948 was not that long ago. Now, to some of us, it seems like a long time ago because we weren't alive then, but some of you were alive then. And 1948 was only 75 years ago. This doesn't go back that far. But what happened was, in 1948, Bible prophecy was fulfilled in that God allowed, through other nations, such as the United States and, 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 and some European nations, to, to really reestablish the Israeli state in the land of Israel. And the Jews, many of the Jews were regathered to their homeland, at least part of it. Now, since that time, there's been a power struggle between the Gentiles that lived in the land and the Jews that are there now. And there's, there have been fightings and wars that have been taking place. And in more recent times, there are two distinct areas of the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, that have been controlled not by the Jews, but by Gentiles, the Palestinians. Those two places are the Gaza Strip in the southwest and uh, the, the West Bank, just to the east uh, of Jerusalem, those, are, uh, those are, have been under Palestinian control. But obviously these Gentile nations uh, don't like uh, the Jews who have supposedly dispossessed them of, of their land. So there's a struggle for territory and for control. And there's continuous fighting. Well, uh, just the other night, uh, Hamas, which is a Palestinian uh, uh, political party that is funded and, and backed by uh, Iran uh, launched a, an attack on Israel and started this war. And I want to say, before we get too deep into this, it's important to note that there's not necessarily, as we consider this issue, there's not necessarily one side of this issue or one, one group of people that is entirely innocent and righteous and perfect in this and another side that's entirely wicked and awful and horrible, okay? That's not, that's not the full picture, okay? There have been atrocities committed by both sides, and uh, that's important to note. So why do we not just simply say, well, you know, it's, it's two nations and what they do, it doesn't affect us. They're at war, but we're not. And so why should we care? Because as we go back to the Bible, the Bible is very clear that God's dealings, really from, from the time of Abraham even until today and into the future, are centered around Jerusalem and Israel. That God's, these are God's chosen people. And, and end times prophecy and Bible prophecy revolves around not Washington, D.C. and not Moscow or, or Beijing or uh, Berlin or London or any other place in the world. world or the Bible prophecy revolves around Jerusalem. And so we're in Acts chapter 1 and I just want to read this with you, it says in verse number six, when they therefore were come together, they asked, uh, they asked of him, that's of Jesus, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. 
And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And then this is important, verse number 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So these events that we just read took place at, at, at the Mount of Olives or the Mount Olivet. Okay? This was the, the last communication that Jesus had with his apostles before he ascended into heaven. And, and their question to him was, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What, what did that mean? Well, the Jews had been waiting for this Messiah who would come and fulfill the prophecies which prophesied that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to rule and reign from the throne of David. And, and, and again, they'd been under foreign rule for all these years and they're wondering, hey, since Jesus is the Messiah, this now must be the time that he's going to set up his earthly kingdom. And his response to them was, don't worry about that. Uh, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Here's what you need to know. And he gives them once again the Great Commission. Here's what they are to be about. They are to be about going and telling others about Christ, preaching the gospel. You'll be witnesses unto me, unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's what they were to do. And the Bible says that as he was taken up, and they're trying to process all of this, that these uh, angels stood by them, and here's what they told them. Uh, basically, stop looking up. You need to get to the work God's given you to do, but be reassured that the Jesus that you just saw ascend into heaven is going to come back in the same way that he went. He's going to come back in like manner. Now, this is important because, go with me, if you would, back to the Old Testament and to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter number 14. Near the end of the Old Testament, we find the book of Zechariah, and chapter 14 tells us of what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. It's important to note those words. The day of the Lord is not necessarily a reference to the rapture, okay? It's specifically a rapture to the second coming, when Jesus is going to establish uh, his kingdom upon the earth. And it says in Zechariah chapter 14, beginning of verse number 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off, from the city. So this is a reference to the tribulation time when the, all nations are going to gather together against uh, Jerusalem. They're going to fight against God's chosen people, Israel. Verse number three, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Listen to this. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove to the north and half of it toward the south. So here's what, what it's saying. In that day of the Lord, 
the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is going to return and he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. And this is going to be kind of the, the coronation or the, the beginning of his kingdom as he puts down all of the nations of the earth that have gathered themselves together against Israel. And so what, what we're saying is this, when Jesus was here on this earth, his ministry was taking place in the nation of Israel, primarily in the regions of Galilee, but also some in Jerusalem. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. And the Bible tells us that when he comes back, he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. By the way, it also tells us that when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on this earth, that he's going to do so from Jerusalem. And so as we look at this, we need to be careful as American Christians not to forget that God's plan and purpose, though it is worldwide, the center of it is right there in that little, little land that we call Israel. And so when, when we see things happening, when we see wars and fighting taking place and, and all these things going on, we need to perk up our ears and understand there's something going on behind, uh, behind the scenes here. And, and uh, we need to be always watchful and ready because what's happening in Israel has an effect, believe it or not, on end times events. Now, it's important to note this, just so that we are clear. The Bible is very clear that the return of Christ that we call the rapture is imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. Why is that important to note? Because sometimes as events start unfolding in the land of Israel, people start trying to piece together, well, uh, you know, this seems to be going on, and I've been hearing for years, they're talking about building uh, another temple and, 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 and these things, and, and so maybe then that means that the Lord is going to come soon. No, 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 listen. The Lord is coming soon. He said, behold, I come quickly. And, and there's, think, think with me on this. If the Lord's return is imminent, that means it could happen at any moment, then there is nothing else that has to take place before Christ returns. There's nothing else. We don't have to wait and say, well, I'm watching, and you know, once we see the mark of the beast, then, then maybe Christ is going to come. Once we know who the, the Antichrist is, then maybe Christ is going to come. No, no, no. We're to be watching and waiting because at such an hour as we think not, the Son of Man cometh. And he, he could come in the blink of an eye, right? At, uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air. Uh, this, is, this is what we're to be looking for. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says we're to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So in other words, we are not looking for these certain events in order to believe that Christ is coming soon. We are to know Christ is coming soon and be ever watchful. And so don't feel like we've got to figure everything out because uh, we need to know the day and the hour. No, it's not for us to know the day and the hour. We're to be busy, working, serving, uh, and, 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 and preaching the gospel, but we are to be always ready for His return because He comes quickly. Now with that being said, let's go over to Luke chapter 21. And I had to say that because what I'm going to say, I don't want it to bring any confusion to you. In Luke chapter 21, this is what we know is that 
uh, Olivet Discourse. We find uh, similar teaching in Matthew 24. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus is dealing with the issues of the events of the tribulation period. And he says in Luke 21, beginning in verse number uh, 28, it says, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. That's a tremendous verse, by the way, because he's just talked about a bunch of horrible things that are going to be taking place on the earth. And he says to, to the nation of Israel, hey, when these things begin to happen, look up. Because your redemption's drawing nigh. But I want to be clear that this is a statement. This is not, uh, this is not a statement for born-again Christians. This is a teaching for the nation of Israel. That when these events begin to unfold, the events of the tribulation, when these things are happening, you can know that your redemption is drawing nigh. And why am I saying that that is not for us? Because we're going to be gone before then. We're going to be out of here. All right, But here's what I would say. If the events of the tribulation should cause the nation of Israel to anticipate the soon return of Christ to establish his kingdom, the events that we see taking place that are setting the stage for the tribulation should cause us to be ever more diligent in looking for our redemption at the, re- at, at, at the rapture, when he calls us home, okay? So I could say it this way. If their redemption is drawing nigh, our redemption is drawing nigher, if I can put it that way, all right? We, we need to be expectant that Christ is soon returning and everything happening, nothing is changing in the way of, it's, it's not like these events are taking place so that Christ can come, but the events that are taking place should cause us to say, wow, now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Okay? So we should care. We should be paying attention because it's a reminder. Listen, someday soon, we're going home. We're going home. (laughs) I don't know about you, I get more excited about that all the time. As I see the things taking place in the world and and everything, I, I, I am ready for the Lord to call me home. I'm, I'm listening for the trumpet, and I hope you are too. So we should care about what's taking place in, in Israel because end times Bible prophecy revolves around Jerusalem. Secondly, we should care about what's going on in Israel because God has promised that he will redeem Israel unto himself. This is very important because I think sometimes if we're not careful, we kind of lose sight of the fact that, you know, we we almost get this idea in our minds that since God is working among the Gentile people, that really the only thing that matters and the only thing that affects us is God's work among the Gentiles. And again... Speaking of the dangers of Reformed theology, one of the other dangerous pieces of Reformed theology or that accompanies Reformed theology is what we would know as replacement theology. Replacement theology teaches this. God's covenants uh, toward Israel, the Abrahamic covenant and, 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 and all of those things that 
that he, he told Moses. All of those things were for Israel during that time. But now God has turned his focus away from Israel and he's turned to the Gentiles. And now everyone who believes in Christ, everyone who has been saved, is now... Um, uh, those covenants apply to us, and literally, they believe that, quote-unquote, the church, and when they say that, they're talking about everyone who's believed, everyone who's saved, that the church has replaced Israel. And folks, I just want to tell you that this is a false doctrine. This is a false doctrine. Now, you and I have been grafted in, according to the Bible, and we, uh, we enjoy some of the blessings... Uh, that, that God had designed and, and given to his people Israel. But the promises and the covenants that God made with Israel as an everlasting covenant have not changed. And the Jews are still God's chosen people. Let me show you this. Let's go back to the book of Romans or forward to the book of Romans and chapter number 10. All right, Romans chapter 10. Actually, let's look at chapter 11, all right? Romans chapter 11, we'll look at chapter 10 in just a moment here. Romans chapter 11 says this, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not that the scripture saith, or what the scripture saith of Elias? How that he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace... And if by grace it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, it is no more works. And so what, what do we see here? God says through, through the Apostle Paul, God has not cast off his people. God did not turn away from the Jews to the Gentiles to say, okay, all the promises I made to you, those are null and void. Now I'm going to give them to these new people. No, he doesn't say that. In fact, back up just a little bit into chapter 10. And look what this says in verse number 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went out or went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? For Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that not, asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient in gainsaying people. So here's what he's saying. According to God, because of their rebellion against him, because of Israel's rejection of, of, of their Lord, of their Messiah, he would turn to the Gentiles, that he would call a people, a people who are not a people. He would call us a nation who are not a nation, right? We are now, according to Peter, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation. 
That's who we are in Christ. And this is, today, God's work among the Gentiles is, according to verse number 19, provoking Israel to jealousy in order that they will turn to the Lord and be saved. Now, listen to me. If, quote-unquote, the church, and that is a misnomer, but I'm just going to use the language that they use, okay? If the church has replaced Israel, then who is being provoked to jealousy in these days? Follow me on this. If, if, if God says, I'm going to turn to a people who are not a people, and my work is going to be among them, and I am going to provoke you to jealousy... The people who believe that the church has replaced Israel literally believe that the Jews are no longer Israel according to the Bible. So who is being provoked to jealousy? It doesn't make sense. Biblically speaking, the people who are being provoked to jealousy are those Jews that God made the covenants with and there is coming a day when they will be saved when they will be turned back to the Lord and there will be a national salvation that takes place in Israel. Now this isn't going to happen until the end of the tribulation because God's going to work in through that tribulation to, 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 to chasten them and, and to bring them to a state of brokenness so that they will turn back to Him. But friend, make no mistake, there is coming a day when Israel will be restored to the Lord. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 makes a very interesting statement. 2 Corinthians 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 12. It says, Seeing then we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end, uh, of that which is abolished. So remember when Moses came off of Mount Sinai and he had spent those 40 days with the Lord and, and his face was shining so bright from being in the presence of God that the people couldn't even look to him, Moses had to put a veil over his face. Well, what the Bible is going to tell us here is that that veil was really a picture of the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. Because here's what it says, verse number 14, but their minds were blinded for until this day there remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. You see, even to this day, the Jewish people who have rejected Christ, they've rejected the Messiah, to this day, when they read the Old Testament scriptures, they see but they don't see. There's a veil over their heart. They, they literally cannot understand who Christ is. They're still waiting for a Messiah that's already come and died for them. And they're missing it. But look what it says in verse number uh, 15. But unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Verse 16, nevertheless, when it, that's their heart, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Did you know there's coming a day when the Lord is going to turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to Him and they're going to be restored to fellowship with God? That's coming. That's coming. 
Now, let's go back to the Old Testament. I want to show you that this is true in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 30. And there are so many places in Scripture that we could read where it tells us that God is going to restore, after a time of chastening, God is going to restore uh, uh, His people and, and they are going to be His people. But Isaiah 30 in particular speaks of this. We'll begin reading... In uh, verse number 18, it says, And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, He will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. And he goes on and he gives them many promises of blessings. But what's he saying here? God's going to feed you with affliction. God's going to let you go through some adversity in order that your hearts turn back toward Him. And when your hearts turn to the Lord, all the blessings that He's promised will be realized. Folks, this has yet to come. Notice that He he said in verse number 19, For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You say, well, they're, they're dwelling in Jerusalem today. But then it says, Thou shalt weep. No more. Friends, as we sit here tonight, there's a lot of weeping going on in Jerusalem. This has not yet come to pass. But God said it will come to pass. And so we we ought to be expecting and understanding the things that are going on over there, listen, this is not just, this, this is not a war that's taking place just between men. I hope that we're perceptive enough to recognize this is not just a pro- power struggle between men. Sure, there are men that are the face of all of this. And sadly, most of them have no idea really what's going on. But the truth of the matter is that there is a war that is taking place, a spiritual war that is taking place. When the armies of the enemy, Satan and his angels, are seeking to defy and attack God's people and destroy them. And God is using that in the lives of his chosen people to bring them to a point of brokenness so that their hearts will turn back to Him. Now, that's not going to be accomplished today or tomorrow. That's going to take some time. And the Bible records the events of the tribulation, and there's going to be a whole lot of bloodshed, and many, many, many tears shed, and much sorrow, and much weeping, and and much destruction, not just there, but worldwide, that's going to take place. But there is coming a day when their heart will turn to the Lord, and God will restore His people. And will fulfill the promises that he's made for them. And we ought to be concerned about that. We say we're 
people of the book. We believe the word of God. So much of the Bible deals with God's dealings with his people, the nation of Israel. We should be concerned about what's going on over there. So we should be concerned about what's going on in Israel because end times prophecy revolves around Jerusalem. Uh, because God has promised that he will redeem Israel unto himself. And then let me say this, because God has promised to bless those who bless his people and curse those who curse his people. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. This is one reason that we cannot be silent or ignorant when it comes to these issues. Because God in Genesis 12 called out a nation through one man. It says in verse number 1 of Genesis 12, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. Listen to this. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Listen, folks. These events unfolded over the weekend. And all over the world, including in this country, there's a lot of division. There are people who are cursing Hamas, and Palestine, and all that they've been doing. And there are protests and all kinds of things taking place that are very anti-Israel. There is, even within our government, a faction of people that would love to see Israel destroyed. You'll hear them calling them Zionists, and they'll, they'll, they'll talk about the land over there. These Zionists have been occupying the land. They hate Israel. And I just want to say... We need to be awfully careful. Regardless of what your political leanings are, here's what you need to know. God said of his people Israel, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. We better be careful which side we end up on. We better be careful which side we end up on. And, and I want to say this as well. Please don't misunderstand me because I am very thankful for everyone who has served our nation in the armed forces, I'm thankful for all of our veterans. I, I, I praise the Lord for them. But I want to say to our young people, you, you need to be up on current world events before you ever consider joining the military. Because the Bible tells us that someday all nations will be gathered against Israel. All nations. Now, when, when that takes place, I don't know exactly, but I know this. There's coming a day when, if the United States is still in existence, they're going to be gathered together against Israel. And God said, I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that issue. And we, as God's people, need to make sure that we're on the right side of this issue politically speaking, and even in our communications and our interaction with our leaders, that we are encouraging them to stand with Israel. Not because Israel is always in the right, 
Because these are still God's chosen people. And he said in Zechariah chapter 2 that he who touches Israel touches the apple of his eye and he will bring judgment upon them. So you say, well, okay, but I'm not in leadership. I'm not making any decisions. I'm not, you know, what can I do? Let's go over to the book of Psalms. Psalm 122. I want to show you, this is a a psalm that speaks of God's blessings upon Jerusalem, the holy city. And in Psalm 122, look at verse number 6 with me if you would. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Folks, we're not Jews. We're Gentiles. We're, We're the children of God by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus and The covenants and the promises that God made with his chosen people don't directly apply to us, but we should be concerned about what's going on over there because God is concerned with it. And he's told us that we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so tonight, I want to take some time and do just that. I want to take some time and pray for Israel. You say, well, what do we pray for? Well, this tells us that we're to pray for peace. We're to pray for peace. We need to pray that there is a peaceful resolution to what's going on over there. Folks, listen, there are people, listen, as we speak, there are people that are being sent into eternity without Christ. There's blood being shed of innocent people, men and women and children. There are Souls for whom Christ died, that are dying without ever knowing Christ, even knowing what he did for them. And we ought to be praying for peace. We need to pray for peace. We need to pray for the salvation of souls. We need to pray that God uses even this tragic situation to soften hearts, to cause people to turn to truth. And for souls to be saved. We need to pray for our brethren. You know, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who live in that region of the world. Some of them, no doubt, have been killed in the conflict. But some are living in very dangerous and very serious conditions. And they're our brethren. And we ought to be praying for them. And then, I would say this also, we ought to be praying for the Lord's soon return. Revelation 22 and verse 20 says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And then John adds these words, Even so come, Lord Jesus. And that ought to be our prayer as we see everything happening in the world. Lord, we're ready. Come and set all this straight. There's coming a day when when wars are going to be ended. There will be no more war. There's coming a day when there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more weeping. We ought to be looking for that day and even praying, Lord, come quickly. Let me just ask you this. Are you ready for that day? 
Are you ready for Christ to return? Do you know where you're going when He does? Some things to think about. It's coming soon, folks. It's coming soon. Behold, I come quickly, and we're seeing some things come to pass. Let's lift up our heads and look up. Amen?